You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the D&B Supply Show. Thank you so very much for joining us again today. Hey, I've got to apologize to you in advance. I am getting over a cold, and you know, when you make your living talking through a microphone, well, that is just a downer. But anyway, thank you very much for tolerating my voice today. Now, I we've got an exciting episode for you today. We're going to be interviewing an assistant professor of agricultural economics from the University of Idaho. His name is Leanne Liu, and he specializes in agricultural supply chains and e-commerce supply chains. And, you know, what's really interesting about this, and let me tell you why we're doing this episode today, and it has everything to do with why we started this show in the first place. So the DNB Supply Show is all about helping people live that Western lifestyle, no matter how they define it. You know, for a lot of us, that could be hunting. A lot of us, that could be camping, or it could be uh, gardening or something like that in our backyards. But on the on the, kind of the other end of the spectrum there is those of us who want to farm and want to ranch and want to participate in agriculture that way and have that farming or ranching lifestyle. And for people who want to get into that lifestyle, the question that always comes up is, well, how can I do that? And how can I come up with a sustainable or a niche business model that will allow me to survive doing that? Because everybody knows it's difficult in agriculture and there's a lot of obstacles to entry and there's price variations and things like that. So we look for niches to help us make that happen. Well, one of those things uh, that comes up from time to time is being involved in e-commerce and selling agricultural products, supplies, things like that through the internet. And so that's what we want to talk with Dr. Lou all about today is how can we help support and make our Western lifestyles sustainable by using these different supply chains. Now, if that sounds technical to you, it did to me when we first started, but really uh, it's simpler than it sounds. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And I very much hope that for those of you who are defining your Western lifestyle this way, that we've got some great information here for you today to help you make it sustainable for yourself. Dr. Lou, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for the invitation, Matt. Hey, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. And it's a really interesting topic that you are specializing in or that you've got expertise in and and really looking forward to talking to our listeners about that. I, I wanted to ask you if you might just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and history and, and what led you to being a professor there at the University of Idaho and ag economics. Okay. So a little bit about myself. So I originally come from China. Then I did my uh, master's in agricultural economics uh, at the University of Idaho. Then um, I went on for a PhD at the University of California, Berkeley, and then uh, come back as assistant professor. So there are quite a few things that really interest me. First is, you know, technology adoption. And then there is, you know, agricultural supply chains. And, of course, there are recent uh, developments in the behavioral economics that I'm very, very interested in. So I think we have a very collegial environment here, and the, we are talking about a lot of practical and policy-relevant uh, studies here. So I'm very, very honored to join the department. Awesome. Well, that's great. Now, how did you choose agricultural economics? What, what led you to that? So that, that is a, a long story. So when I started, uh, my bachelor's degree was actually in uh, electronic engineering. Then I feel like, well, uh, it's really not my interest. Then I uh, decided to uh, do a master's 
uh, in economics. So uh, I did actually I did my first master's in China in econometrics, which is you know basically uh, trying to use statistics and economic theory to understand you know the observational economic data. And uh, what I did back in China has uh, so the data uh, I use are a lot of times agriculture related. So you know once I come to the U.S. Uh, the first project I did with my major professor at the University of, of Idaho is actually about pest management. So you know, these are so we ask a lot of you know, uh, interesting questions in my opinion, and that you know just give me uh, you know, enough incentive to want for PhD and uh-huh. work on you know agriculture related topics. And so uh, during my PhD time, I find quite a few things or really interesting to me. So one is, you know, why people you know, make this, uh, certain decisions to adopt certain technologies. And then, you know, is the, uh, the market structure, especially on the producer side. You know, when we look at the agricultural supply chain, there are so many interesting stories here. So I've just, just you know, wanted to write my dissertation on that topic. Well, let's start off by talking about that. So we've called to talk to you about agricultural supply chains and, and how that impacts mm-hmm. all of us who are, who are involved in agriculture and producing products. So I guess the first question I should ask is what in the world is an agricultural supply chain? So I think we can you know, start by looking at, you know, uh, let's say, a, a textbook definition of a supply chain. Right? So when we say supply chain, it's just, you know, the network of you know all the uh, organizations, resources, activities involved in the manufacturing and the sales of a product, you know, from the delivery of the raw material, from the suppliers to the manufacturers, and then you know eventually go through to the eventual delivery to the end user, right? So when we say agricultural supply chain, it is you know, specifically referring to. Uh, the production and the delivery of an agricultural product. So um, I can give you a, a very quick example here. If we look at, let's say, the chicken breast uh, mm-hmm. we buy from grocery stores, right? So if you look at the, the supply chain of that the chicken breast, well, of course, you have to have someone to raise the chicken. Right. right? And then, you know, it goes to the processing facilities where, you know, you cut those chickens into chicken parts, right? And then we pack them and, and go through uh, the wholesalers, and retailers, and of course, there are a lot of logistics along the way, right? The transportation from you know those uh, chicken farms to the processing facility, transportation from the, you know the processing facility to eventually the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, uh, I think a good example of an agricultural supply chain. Okay, now we're we're here to talk to you about how e-commerce is impacting this. So, I uh, tell you what, we have to take mm-hmm. we have to take a commercial break. So, why don't we take a commercial break, and then when we come back, I want to ask you about how e-commerce is now factoring into supply chains when it comes specifically to agriculture. All right? Sure. At DNB Supply, we know that what's inside counts. That's why we dish out Neutrina's Nature Wise Medicated Chick Starter Grower Feed. Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Feed has an exclusive blend of nutrients to support a chick's immune system and overall health, even preventing coccidiosis. Raise healthy chicks with Neutrina's NatureWise Medicated Chick Starter Feed. Available now at your favorite D&B. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Balin Country Gates and Panels to really fence your livestock in. 
Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Balin Country at DNB. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Balin Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at DNB Supply. All right. Well, Dr. Lou, now that we're we're back, let's talk about e-commerce and how that is impacting the supply chains when it comes to agricultural products. Well, I, I think we probably want to first take a look at you know how the agricultural supply chain traditionally works. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, if you look at you know how it traditionally works, most of the time you have less processing and shorter supply chains. Right. So, so when we say uh, a supply chain is shorter, it means you know it takes less steps from the raw material to the end consumer. Right. For example, if let's say the chicken story we were talking about, right? If you look at you know let's say in the 1940s to 50s, so a lot of the chickens were you know they were typically sold in the they call the New York dress, right, with only the blood and feathers off. Mm-hmm. But then, right, so after the 60s, we began to uh, introduce the processed chicken, right? And, you know, in the 80s, you know, we began to realize actually consumers prefer, you know, the cut-up for the processed chickens, well, compared to the traditional whole birds, right? So when we look at, you know, the, uh, the traditional, you know, way agricultural supply chain works, when you, you have a shorter supply chain, less processing, there are good reasons for that. Well, first of all, the obvious reason is probably, you know, the agricultural products are perishable, right? So without you know, temperature-controlled logistics, you really cannot have a long supply chain. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you will have a lot of loss during the transportation. Right. And at the same time, you know, if you look at the uh, why we have more processed food today, I think one of the, the, the biggest reasons is, you know, we are busier than ever. Right? Do we have enough time to prepare our food at home? Mm-hmm. Right? So if not, we probably want to have more prepared food. We want more, you know, let's say prepared salad. Right? We want our, um, maybe frozen burger. I remember when I was a PhD student, I eat a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and also, you know, fast food restaurants, right? So I think it's um, crucial to, to understand, you know, the, uh, the transition from the, the traditional agricultural supply chain to the modern ones where now we have, you know, longer supply chains because of, you know, the technology improvements where we have, you know, temperature control logistics. And now because, you know, people are, you know, they, they are busier, so they want more prepared food. And at the same time, you know, those prepared food are uh, more affordable than ever. So now you you begin to see, you know, the modern uh, agricultural supply chains. So now it comes back to your question about, you know, how you know, the e-commerce is impacting this, mm-hmm. right? And I think probably the most obvious impact is that, uh, consumers would get access to more varieties of uh, agricultural products. So, for example, you know, uh, I can buy, let's say, uh, live oysters from the Pipe Place Market online, mm-hmm. right? And you can actually see similar stories in other countries, for example, um, in China, where you have, you know, people in Beijing, they can get, you know, uh, live crabs from provinces near Shanghai. So when the the crab delivered to a consumer store, the crab is still alive. Uh-huh. Right? So basically, these are possible because of 
seen the uh, incredible improvement in the logistics. At the same time, people are willing to pay a premium for those products. Right? And of course, there are other uh, potential impacts. And I would say one of the potential impacts is, you know, well, uh, almost by definition, e-commerce means you have less intermediaries. So we would anticipate that the price of those uh, agricultural products will eventually go down uh, because you know, the whole supply chain is ready more uh, mm-hmm. efficiently. Very interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, let's take another break. And when we come back, I want to I want to ask you a follow-up question on that. I know that uh, Amazon mm-hmm. just bought Whole Foods, and it seems to me like this fits into that model, but we'll find out when we come back, all right? Sure, sure. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today, and these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining Western brand since 1947. Wrangler Apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. When you think about pet food, what comes to mind isn't normally something deserving of your best friend. But at D&B, you'll find a line of pet food that's so real, you can serve it on a plate. Earthborn Holistic Pet Food. Earthborn Holistics cater to your pet's primal needs, blending a variety of nature's finest proteins with other whole food ingredients for a kibble they'll love to nibble and will keep them healthy and happy, too. Earthborn Holistic Dog and Cat Food, available at your favorite D&B supply. Well, Dr. Lou, let's talk really quick about uh, Amazon.com. They just bought Whole Foods, and it's making everybody in the agricultural community kind of speculate on how is this going to look and how is this going to impact the sales of agricultural end-user products going forward. Is that going to go over to Amazon.com's model? Do you know anything about that, or what do you think about that? So we um, had organized... uh a session at the uh, American uh, Economic Association meeting uh, uh, last winter in Philadelphia, and the topic we actually went uh, went over is exactly the impact of e-commerce on the agricultural supply chains. Uh-huh. And and I agree with you. Uh, you know the uh, the merger of Whole Foods and Amazon you know, is a great example uh, here. So I think the the Lauren impact is still hard to say. But my speculation uh, is, I would say the merger would benefit both. Where you can see, you know, Whole Foods can get you know access to Amazon's logistics network, right? so it can uh, uh, deliver its products to more more households. And Amazon would benefit from Whole Foods' reputation of you know selling healthy grocery. So, I guess the um, the harder question is to say, well, in the long run. How well could this, you know, Amazon and Whole Foods example uh, work? I think there are several factors here. First of all, uh, you have to um, take a look at what their competitors are doing, right? So, for example, if if we look at Walmart, Walmart is actually building its own online presence, right? And also, Costco started to offer delivery too. So what the uh, their competitive strategies, well, I think would uh, eventually have an impact on their own strategies too. At the same time, I think the, if we look at the impact on the consumers, it will probably largely depend on the location 
so especially um, when we look at the, uh, the online delivery, you can tell the population density actually matters a lot because when you have a large population density in the area, it probably means that you know the uh, the shipping cost per person is going to be significantly lower. But when we have you know the the population density is very low, then people would have to justify their online purchase. You know, with you know this larger amount of out of their pocket that goes to shipping. So right now, I have to say, I do believe the uh, the merger between uh, Amazon and Whole Foods is going to work at least in the short run, but long run, it's still hard to say. I had a question about that that's really interesting to me. So if you go into a Whole Foods, and I I live in Cuna, so just outside of Boise, Idaho, and if you go, Uh there's a Whole Foods in Boise. So when I've gone in there and looked around, you see photographs of farmers from the region who are supplying food to that particular Whole Foods. So it could be people producing produce, uh, beef. Uh, Mm -hmm. there's There's a fish farmer from down around Buell and Hagerman. His photograph mm-hmm. is up there as the farmers who are providing the food that you're buying. And so it's locally produced mm-hmm. food that you're purchasing in the Whole Foods. Now, now that Amazon has purchased Whole Foods, it makes me wonder, could there be a point in time where these same local farmers have their cuts of meat or their fillets of trout or whatever it may be up for sale on Amazon to where people who want to buy uh, locally produced food or whatever it may be, they can just go to Amazon, select it, look for their region, and then uh, select a producer and purchase their commodities? Well, that, that's a great question. So I think we're actually already at the beginning of this point, where not necessarily those farmers are selling through the, the Amazon platform. It could be you know their own online platform. For right. example, if, when we're talking about you know the Pike Place online shop, uh-huh. right, or you know the uh, the Chinese crab farmers that are delivering those uh, those crabs to the consumers hundreds of miles away, right. or you know if you look at uh, California, there are also um, other seafood companies that are selling their sushi quality fish online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can tell there's one thing in common of, about those products that is you do not normally see them in a supermarket. And also, the consumers of these products are willing to pay a premium to get them. Right. I think that is a very important factor here. So, you know, when a consumer makes the choice, well, should, should I buy it on, online or um, do I just go to the supermarket? Well, most of the time you, you'll see, well, if I can get it at a supermarket, well, I can see it, I know the quality of the product, then if they have the same price, why am I going to buy it online? Mm-hmm. So you can see there are two possible ways the online model could work. That is, either you do not have it in the local supermarket, or you know, if you can buy it online, and you can actually find you know, a cheaper price in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Right. But I guess, you know, it's, it's really hard to find examples that the online purchase uh, would actually have, you know, you have a lower cost than when you are buying from supermarkets simply because you have to pay the shipping cost. Well, Dr. Liu, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to ask you if you know of any examples of companies in agriculture that are using e-commerce in their supply chain. Your puppy needs the very best to grow up big and strong. That's why D&B stocks science diet puppy food for standard and large breed pups. 
Science Diet's got all the nutrition essential to keeping their little tails wagging and their teeth sharp while supporting their immune systems and controlling growth. And with the highest purity and quality standards, Science Diet gives you nothing but the good stuff. Choose Science Diet Puppy Blend for maximum puppy licks. Available at your favorite D&B supply. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia Boots. Available to try on for size at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia Boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles. While on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earned the nickname of America's Hardest Working Boots and pick up a pair of Georgia Boots at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Dr. Lou, now that we're back, do you, can you think of any examples that are using e-commerce in their supply chains? To my knowledge, there are actually some good examples. So during our uh, meeting uh, in Philadelphia, uh, one of our, our presenters, Tim Richards, uh, at Arizona State University presented some uh, very uh, interesting example. So there, there is this startup company called Imperfect Produce, uh, or, you know, they have an informal name called the Ugly Produce. Uh-huh. The key idea is that, you know, uh, about 20% of the fresh produce don't even make it you know, off farm simply because of their appearance. So what this company does is that, you know, it sources these produce and take online orders and then delivers, you know, the boxes of those online, those um, imperfect produce to the consumer store. So it turns out, you know, in this way, the fresh produce are about 30, so if I remember correctly, it's about 30 to 50% cheaper than the grocery you buy from the supermarket. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I think, or go back to your to a question. Are we reaching a point where you know the farmers, you know, they can advertise their meat or vegetables, right, and they can sell them online? I think uh, we have to learn two important uh, stories here. First is you know we have to find the perfect niche market, right? So whether we can uh, you know offer it at a, a you know much higher quality so that consumers are willing to pay a premium, or you know, we can find you know, a different variety of the products so that consumers can buy them you know, at a cheaper price. At the same time, we have to take the, uh, the shipping cost into, uh, into consideration. Because from what I know, the imperfect produce or selling their, most of their, their fresh produce in California well, simply because in, oh, in let's say in the, in the San Francisco Bay Area, mm-hmm. they have a very large population density, which would mean you know if we look at you know the per person shipping cost, it's actually going to be lower. Okay, so I think I'm following you along here. Now, you talked about niche markets or a niche product there a moment ago. Let me ask you about one specific, if that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who want to get into producing agricultural products, get into farming, ranching, whatever that may be. Uh, but in order for them mm-hmm. to in order for them to generate enough revenue to be successful there, they have to find their niche. And so let me let me look at one specific niche, and that is beef production. And there's a number of ranchers and farmers around the West who will produce mm-hmm. uh, they'll produce a niche beef. It could be wagyu, it could be grass fed, it could be grass finished, uh, something niche. Mm-hmm. And then they will actually have that beef butchered. 
and they will sell individual cuts of that meat. It might be at the farmer's market, or it might be online through their website, or it might be both, or, or whatever combination or ways they come up with to find their customers. But for, for the farmers and the ranchers who are doing that online, what I've noticed is they put a great deal of investment and time into their websites because they have to develop a very good site that makes people interested in purchasing their beef, even if those people are two or three states away or maybe all the way across the country. So when I first heard about this Amazon purchase of of Whole Foods, it made me wonder, well, for the rest of us, the, those of us that don't have the money or the time to invest into a website like that, might this bring more of us into that niche market of selling uh, cuts of beef? Maybe it's maybe it's pasture-raised chicken, uh, things like that. Might that bring more people into this niche market of selling uh, individual cuts of a particular type of, of food that's been raised in a particular way to people all around the country? Do you see that as a possibility? So, Matt, let, let, we could you know, go back to the Amazon and the Whole Foods merger case. Right, so you see, uh, the uh, Amazon Fresh, they started to uh, you know, testing this, I think it's about eight years ago or, or even about 10 years ago uh-huh. uh, in Seattle. Right? So it was, I would say, it was always, it has always been on a small scale until you know, finally find the, you know, the perfect marriage with Whole Foods. Well, simply because when you are buying something online, you do not know exactly what you are going to receive, right? And that is a big problem there. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not really like the, the grocery store. You know, when you buy the meat, you can take a look at it. You know the color of the beef. You know it looks good. But when you are buying it online, there are a lot of reputation issues going on. Right. right? There is a lot of uncertainty. So that's why, you know, we talked about it before earlier that when Amazon you know, bought Whole Foods, one of the benefits Amazon get is the reputation from Whole Foods that Whole Foods is selling, you know, well, uh, has this image uh-huh, of, right. uh, you know, selling healthy products, right? So well, let's say, you know, when a farmer wants to build their own website and, you know, sell their own products online, well, first of all, they do not necessarily have the, uh, the, uh, the customer base, like Amazon does, where you know a lot of the customers you know, they know Amazon already, mm-hmm. but um, in this case they do not necessarily know this website. So it would make sense. It would make sense for those farmers to well invest some time into building a you know a better looking website. I think I would agree with that. At the same time, I think there are other there are two other things being very important here. First is try to build a brand name. Right. Let's say you know when we look at the Pike Place market, uh-huh. right? So people know they have the the world famous fish, right? And at the same time, at the same time, I think it is very important to um uh, to keep track of you know the uh, of the repeated consumers. So when you have more repeated consumers, it's more like a, a sign that you're actually establishing your reputation among those um, online shoppers. So you, you're you leaning more towards for people who want to survive in that space, in that niche, for really developing their own website rather than going through an intermediary like an Amazon so they can develop their reputation and then have that word of mouth develop as they have repeat customers who continue to consume their products. I cannot really say that simply because I think it really depends on the size of the farm. 
so if you have a relatively larger farm you, where you do want to sell your own product, uh, you probably want to establish your own reputation. You want to have your own bread name. Got it. Okay. Right, but when you are when you are relatively smaller, then of course you want to uh, take advantage of the uh, uh, the uh, the Amazon platform, right? But in that case, you can tell the the difficulty is it will be very hard to establish your own brand name. Right. So it's going to depend on I guess each farmer's particular situation. However, this might open up some additional opportunities for smaller producers out there. Right. Right. And I would also say it also depends on how good is this farm's uh, relationship with the logistics. All right, Dr. Liu, well, let's take another break, and then when we come back, I want to ask you more about this relationship with the logistics you're talking about. Greatness comes from the inside out, especially when it comes down to what you feed your animals. That's why D&B Supply carries Purina Mills. Purina Mills feeds greatness with balanced nutrition that makes a difference your stock can feel and you can see. It makes them healthy, strong, and greater than ever. Purina Mills serves up the good stuff for all shapes and sizes, from horse to cattle, goats to pigs, even for the birds. So for all creatures, great and small, pick up Purina Mills at your favorite D&B. This is Bill's yard, and Bill's a grill master, not a grass expert. Still, he won't let weeds invade his backyard barbecue kingdom. And with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed, Bill can clear out weeds, green up his lawn, and hold his spatula high. Because Scott's Weed Grip Formula is twice as effective on dandelions as it used to be. This is a Scott's Yard. Pick up Scott's Weed and Feed today. All right, Dr. Lou. Well, now that we're back, tell me what you mean when you're talking about the relationship with the logistics. So let's go back to to the uh, to the Pike Place fish market case. Uh-huh. I know they can uh, do uh, overnight delivery to uh, Washington, northern Idaho, and some part of Oregon overnight at a much cheaper cost than you know if they are delivering to other states, right? So I think this is one of the crucial crucial steps because people do care about the shipping costs, right? But you know when you are a seller on Amazon. One of the uh, the big advantages you don't have to re- worry about this because you know when people are especially those prime members they don't have to worry about the uh, the logistics anymore. So when you are a seller on the uh, on Amazon and you know Amazon would take care of the logistics, that would actually be a a big plus for uh, selling on Amazon too. So again, like we said before, you know because you know farms are different. Right, they have their own situations, right? So, uh, depends on you know what is the scale you are operating. You probably would have you know different optimal strategies. Very good. Well, it's all very interesting, and and there's so many things that come into this. I wanted to ask you about a term that I've read about that seems to be part of this, mm-hmm. but maybe I'm misunderstanding, and that is drop shipping. So, can you explain to us what drop shipping is and and how that works? I actually just uh, encountered this term uh, recently. So the key feature of dropshipping is that the retailer is not taking inventories. So let's say when, when a customer uh, want to buy something from the retailer, the retailer would actually go back to the manufacturer and ask a direct order that ships from the manufacturer to the consumer directly. So basically, in this case, the retailer is not going to take any inventories. So they're not going to hold any inventory and that is their particular business model for shipping this more effectively? Well, I think there are a lot of good reasons for this, right? Because when you hold the inventories, there is actually a, a risk, 
right? Uh-huh. Especially uh-huh. if we think about you know the perishable agricultural product. So do right. you do you know of any business models in agriculture or in the production of food that that are working in this manner? So the uh, the good story I know for now that you know exactly matches the uh, the definition of a, of a drop shipping would be the live crab story I told earlier. So there are a, a few provinces near Shanghai that actually have very good quality crabs. And what's happening is some of those retailers, they would build online shops on, uh, through Alibaba in China. And then when the, when the consumers, you know, they want to order a crab, and these retailers would just call those crab farmers and say, well, please deliver you know, this amount to this address in Beijing, for example. So because, you know, because they, the goal is to make sure when, when it's delivered to Beijing, it's still alive. So they have to make sure the logistics uh, have to work perfectly. And in this case, actually, if, even if the, uh, the retailer wants to, uh, to take inventory, it probably cannot. But I guess the third uh, question here would be, why wouldn't those uh, crab farmers to have their to have their own online shops? So, and and I think actually this is the case for a lot of those uh, crab farmers in China at the moment. So they're going to realize. So, well, of course, those online retailers, what they're just doing is, is simply just an intermediary between them and the consumer. Mm-hmm. So, if that's the case, why don't I just you know build my own online shop? So eventually, I think what's happening right now is a lot of those, those crab farmers are actually integrating the uh, the retailing business right now. So in this case, it's it's a little bit hard to say whether it's a, still a, a job shipping model. It's more like a direct shipping model, right? Because you even cut the re- the retailing part of it, right? So I don't know. I feel like this would be more like an interesting case when you have the retailing shop, it's more like a brick and mortar store that the sole purpose of this store is just for demonstration. It's just for demonstration. So because the consumers doesn't know about this product, so they want to take a look and see what's going on with this, with this product. So if, if you think about you know, the, uh, the perfect example of drop shipping, I would say it's perhaps not agricultural products. It's perhaps those Teslas. When you have a, a, a Tesla shop, uh, the consumers are there just to take a look at the car. They probably can, can test drive them. Uh-huh. But eventually, when, the, when they are buying them, you know, they have to order online. And eventually, you know, they are shipped you know, directly from the manufacturer to the consumer. So the, the, retail, the retailing shop there is just for the, uh, the consumers to take a look at it, to get a feeling of it, because that's uh, what e-commerce cannot do, right? We were just buying, let's say, you know, this Tesla online. You don't know what that is, right? Mm-hmm. So you can think of this as a, uh, as a way to uh, reduce the risk that consumers face, right? Because when they have no experience with the product, they actually face more higher uncertainty. Well, this is a fascinating discussion, and I know we could continue and, and talk and talk and talk about it. What else do we need to know before I let you go? What else do we need to know about e-commerce and supply chains in agriculture? Well, so I think I would say a few things. First is if we look at the um, the development of agricultural supply chain over the last 
60 to 80 years, there is a lot of progress and there's a lot of innovation along the way. Right? So if we do not have the innovation in temperature-controlled logistics, we will never be able to achieve you know, selling fresh vegetables or, um, uh, let's say, uh, chicken parts in, the, in those grocery stores, mm-hmm. I guess. And at the same time, you, you can find that nowadays, a lot of the, uh, the agricultural um, supply chains, that what they care about is, well, what would be a value added in this product? How can I achieve, you know, a further processing that would make consumers find that there's, you know, a value added in this product? Let's say, well, the, the frozen burger I like a lot. So eventually, I think the the innovation in the processing, in the products themselves, in the logistics. So all the three together are shaping, uh, you know, the, the whole agricultural supply chains, the dynamics of agricultural supply chains, how it evolved over time, right? And then the e-commerce, this is more uh, towards, you know, you can, you can think of it as, as a, an innovation, more like, uh, you know, from the consumer side of it, where it try to, uh, you know, attract more consumers. So to make sure they uh, incur life, less time costs, less transaction cost and cut some of the intermediaries along the way to make sure the supply chain work more efficiently. So going forward, I would say, I think we would expect you know, more fascinating changes in the, uh, in the whole agricultural supply chain. Are we going to see more new delivery methods? Uh, so that it would it wouldn't rely on you know the population density. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I would say this would be a, a fascinating topic. And at the same time, I think we will continue to see uh, more variety of you know processed food. And I think the impact of e-commerce so far, it seems to me, it will uh, allow consumers to get access to more varieties. Uh, of products and this can be a good opportunity for farmers and producers well that's fascinating thank you so much for coming on and and sharing some of your expertise and your time with us today dr lou we really appreciate it oh you're welcome And, and the questions are excellent and i enjoy this discussion very much thank you all for joining us today and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle however you define it for the dnb show i'm matt breckwald 